Okay, if you have your Bibles today, why don't you take them and open them up, if you will, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 21. And that's going to be the, uh, the passage we're going to be in, one of them anyway. Last week, we started a message. It was the part one, this is the part two today, of repentance. The difference between repentance and regret. There is a huge difference between the two. If you didn't hear last week's, you can go online and you can listen to it if you so desire. But today, we're going to look at the second uh, part of this, of this study. Next week, uh, we'll do an altogether different study. We've got a lot of things going on next Sunday. It's going to be a huge, huge Sunday in the life of our church. And so, the week after next Sunday, we will pick up with the parables. We're going to do a series on the parables of Jesus. And I wanted us to look at this subject of repentance prior to the parables because within the parables, you see that thread that runs through the parables, and it's all repentance. It's all, it all hinges on this thing that we call repentance. So, if you have your Bibles open, uh, take a look at Matthew chapter 21, and you'll see that if you didn't bring your Bibles, you'll see this up on the screen. Uh, I want you to see... Two biblical pictures of repentance in action, okay? The first parable is the parable that Jesus told regarding the two sons. Jesus said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he said. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted, Jesus said. And the people replied, well, the first one. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That is a powerful word picture that Jesus gave the people that day. Now, when Jesus told this story, his listeners were well aware of who he was talking to. <clears throat> the tax gatherers and the harlots were one group that were in... Uh, that were in the group of all the people that were there that day. And the other group that were there was the self-righteous um, Pharisees. And in this story, the first son responded to his dad's invitation, and he said, no, I'm not doing it. No way. Someone else can do it. I'm not going. But then he thought about his actions later, and he reflected on it, and he felt remorse over his actions to his dad. That right there is what we call regret. But it didn't stop there, did it? What did he do? He went, and he went into the field, and he started working. That is repentance. The regret, the remorse over the action is one thing. But to do nothing with it is just you're just sorry. All right? Now, 
The sinners that surrounded Jesus that day, they understood that Jesus was talking to them. Now think about that. He had a way of speaking to them without condemning them, but allowing them to come to the point of the realization that they knew what they were doing was wrong. And he extended to them the opportunity to make things right. They knew who he was talking to. Why? Because they had been saying no for a really long time. A noticeable turn in their life was needed, and it happened. Now, the second son, even though he at first said yes to his father, he changed his mind later, and he didn't do it. He didn't do anything. Why? He felt that he was already in good standing with his father. He didn't have to. He was doing what he knew he could do, which was opposite of what his father wanted him to do, but it didn't matter because I'm okay. I'm all right. I, I, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm going here, and I'm talking like this, and I'm, I go to this meeting, and I do this for the poor, and I do, and I do, and I do, and I do, but I don't have to do what my father wants me to do that was the the pharisees they thought they were getting into heaven based upon what they do and jesus made it clear to them that's not how it happens in fact in another passage in the new testament we read when jesus rebuked the pharisees he said to them now check this the hottest spots of hell will be for you that's powerful language. That is what self-righteousness will do for you. That is what will happen to you when you say no to the Father. I don't have to do all that because I do this and I do this and I do this. And that standing, that position, that attitude, and that, that spirit will take you to places that, simply put, God does not want you to go. He was unwilling to do the things that his father asked of him. He was more content to do things his own way. And therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Therein lies the problem. People would rather do what they want to do whenever they want to do it than listen to what God has to say on the matter. What's the difference? The difference is this thing called repentance. Remember what we said last week? You'll see this up on the screen too. Repentance is to change your mind, which changes your behavior, thereby causing a change in your life. That's repentance. Thus, Jesus' rendering of who actually goes to heaven versus those who don't, uh, are seen in this story. So, what do we learn here? Number one, in your bulletin, if you take the notes, there is a noticeable difference between regret and repentance. Regret 
alone does nothing. It is the last step before you repent, which completes the picture. But you have to go that one more step. There's a difference. And we also learn that one's standing does not reflect one's state. The one who said no did not end his life in an attitude of no, did he? That was his standing. That was his position. At one time, at one time his position was, uh-uh. And then he thought twice about it. He regretted his position. And then he did something about it. His state changed. And then we also learn that your life will be marked either by living for God or for living for yourself. When your life is over, it's going to be one of the two. Let's take a look at the second parable. And the second one is actually, it's a story. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, if you have your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen as well. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Now, this wasn't a parable. This was a story that we read about, a real-life encounter. In fact, of the nine murals that we have within our daycare in the hallway, this little guy gets one of those pictures that we have. It's Zacchaeus. And you can think of that little VBS tune in your head right now as you think of Zacchaeus. Well, Zacchaeus is a perfect picture of what repentance really means. Now it says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming his way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine that? Now just think about that. The most important person that you have heard stories and stories about. And there are thousands of people gathered for this meeting because he is coming your way. And because of your handicap, you're too little, you can't see over the person that's in front of you. So you come up with a million dollar idea, I'm going up that tree. I may not be able to get close, but at least I'm going to see him. And he stops right in front of you in that tree. And he looks up and he calls you out by your name. You're like, how did he know my name? Nobody knows my name. My name is a, it's a bad name. Nobody wants to talk to me. And Jesus not only calls him out by name, but he says, listen, I need you to come down. Because we're going to go to lunch. Oh, and by the way, you're buying. And Zacchaeus was more than willing to buy lunch. And the rest of the, that we read in the Scriptures, it says, And all the people saw this, and they began to mutter to themselves, He has gone to eat to be a guest with a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. And Zacchaeus said to Jesus, he said, Look, Lord, 
Here and now, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him immediately, Today, salvation has come to this house. Notice he, it didn't just go to Zacchaeus. It went to his house. Everybody in his house. Why? Because in those days, if you could reach dad, you would reach the family. Because the family really followed the leadership of dad. And if dad knew what was best, then by golly, that's what we're going to do. And his example alone was so powerful, his change, that Jesus knew what was going to take place. And so he said, today, salvation has come not only to Zacchaeus, but to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. That would have been the point in time in which Zacchaeus would have broke and just started bawling like a baby. He was a son of garbage ten minutes earlier. Now Jesus is calling Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. He's literally saying, you are in line with the true worshipers that the Lord seeks. A child of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is what? Lost. Here's another great picture of repentance in action. Here's an individual whose deeds were well known because of his profession. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in Jesus' day, they worked for Rome by collecting taxes from the people. And then they would inflate their prices and overcharge the people, keeping much of what they had collected for themselves. So is it any wonder why they were so hated? If we were around in that day, you would hate them too. I would hate them too. And after his encounter with Jesus, we see an interesting thing happening. He not only came to believe in Christ, but he immediately regretted his actions. And what did he do? He immediately did something about it. I'm going to give half of my possessions away. In other words, he's going to make these things right. He's going to give them to poor people. Why? Because he made a living out of making other people poor. And then what did he say? And for everyone I can physically think of that I have swindled and ripped off and, and, and cheated, I'm going to not just give them something. I'm going to repay them four times the amount. What do I need to do to clear my conscience? Lord, I am doing it. It's repentance and action. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have done all that. That was wrong. God, forgive me, and I'll, I'll just stop doing it. That's not forgiveness. That's not repentance. That's just empty words following on empty pages. It means nothing. You have to do something about it. Zacchaeus responded by Jesus, literally by going all in. He not only demonstrated a love and a belief in Jesus, but he went further. His outward act of repentance was clearly seen 
by everyone. And he not only paid them back, he paid them back with interest. You see, when you come to Christ, spiritually speaking, a change will happen. If there is no change, rethink that salvation experience that you had. And I'm not saying that wagging a finger at all, at all. In fact, total opposite. If there is no change in your behavior, then maybe all you had was an intellectual change. But until it is evidenced by a changed life, then nothing has happened. You know, the Bible says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 is the Bible says. Repentance is to change your mind, which changes your behavior, thereby causing a change in your life. And when we look at Zacchaeus, it becomes evidence that repentance was the motivating reason for his change. His newfound relationship with Jesus changed everything. So, what do we see in Zacchaeus? Number one, a bad beginning does not determine a bad ending. I used these words about 21, two years ago to a fellow who was dying in the hospital he had been a drunk his whole life, and in his 80s, he accepted Christ. And the day I went to visit him, he was very emotional, and he made this comment. He felt so much regret over the way he ruined and destroyed his life. And he was talking about his two sons in reference to his two sons. And I asked him, because I knew his sons were Christians, I asked him, do your sons know what has happened to you? Do your sons know that you gave your life to Christ? Do they know that? And he shook his head no. And I said, well, you're going to tell them. You have to tell them. You need to tell them. And let me tell you, coming from a, a position where I experienced the same thing growing up, it's going to ch it'll, it'll change their life. Now, at that time, my dad wasn't a Christian yet, but I could identify in my mind, boy, I could think, oh my gosh, I would do somersaults if that was my dad. And that's what I was trying to communicate to him. And you know what I said to him right before I left? I said, a good uh, beginning doesn't matter as much as it is to have a good ending. I said, you haven't had a good beginning at all, but you got a good ending. And I said, and I think your sons will want to know that. You know what? Same thing is here, y'all. A bad beginning does not determine, does not mean there's going to be a bad ending. You can change. At the cross, there is forgiveness. At the cross, there is restoration. At the cross, there is completeness. At, at the cross, you can start all over again at the cross. Amen? Amen. Your duties in life will declare your deeds. Why? Because that is what repentance does. It brings to light the things that you, that, you're, that you believe. And if you're not just all mouth, people are going to see it in what you do. They're going to see it in how you act, what you say. A changed life is one that is noticed by others. 
by others. You want to see the best picture of repentance ever put pen to paper? Then look at the screen or look in your Bible at Psalm 51. David was writing out his prayer of repentance when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet over his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the murder that he orchestrated in, and having her husband killed in battle to hide his sin. Why? Because she was pregnant. And when he was confronted, this is what he said. This is when, when it, it came crashing down on him. I want you to notice how he responded. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, here's the key line right here. Against you, and you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And you are justified when you judge me. That is the most powerful words written on declaring from the mouth of someone who really found out how bad he had messed up. A broken and contrite spirit. You, you won't find anything more powerful than that. And you know why I believe that's in the Bible? I believe that's in there for you, and it's for me. You know, one of the most popular of all the Psalms is this one right here. David's praying for forgiveness for adultery and murder. And aside from the horrible consequences that David would later face as a result of his decisions, we see in his attitude what he did and wanting to meet God on his terms to have his sins forgiven. There were a number of things that David could have said Number one, well, Bathsheba, she tempted me, Lord. It's not my fault. I know, I know I crossed the line, but she came at me. Or how about this one? All right, all right. I know it looks bad, but I've been under a lot of stress due to the war. How about this one? This is the one that's popular in our age. Come on, God, as if everyone's not doing it? Or how about this? I promise, I promise I'll do better. Please don't let me, don't, don't let this cost me the next election. I'll do better. See, all of those things right there, not one of those things is an act of repentance. You know what they are? You know what they are. They're excuses. Some of them almost come to the point of even a regret. But they're just excuses. David took full responsibility. David went right to the heart of the matter. And he told God, 
that his sin was what? His sin was against who? Who? God. His sin was against God? I thought it was against Bathsheba. I thought it was against Uriah, her husband. I thought it was against his family. What about his wife, his kids? You know what David said? My sin is against you. Against you, you only have I sinned. What he was saying was at the heart of everything. God, I have sinned and messed up to so many people. My church, my congregation, my synagogue, my family, my friends, the, uh, my, uh, what, the, the people. But God, ultimately, it pales in comparison. What I have done, I'm, it's against you. It's against you. So, Lord, whatever your verdict is of me, I deserve it. Whatever you want to say to me in judgment, you will be justified. Because you're the one I, I sinned against. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David didn't make any excuses. And because of that, God restored David. You know what we're really good at today? Making excuses and you wonder why there's no power in your life and you wonder why the things you really do want to see happen god moving and everything it just doesn't seem to happen either you're living in an act of disobedience or when it's time to come clean with god what you think you're doing and coming clean you're just making excuses david didn't do that David didn't just tell God he was sorry. He didn't try to play it down. He just took responsibility for it, and he went on. Because David recognized his sin was against the Lord. You know, one unique thing about this story is that this confession, this came a year later. It wasn't just immediate when it happened. It happened a year later. And you know, during that time, David likely rationalized what he had done. Then Nathan the prophet came and confronted David, and David's heart was pierced. Almost immediately, he knew the gravity of the situation that ultimately led to him doing what he did. David's desire was to agree with God to the fullest and to go in the opposite direction from where he was. So let me ask you this. Have you ever seen your sins as being directed against God? That's one of those really big, oh, wow. Have you ever, ever seen your sins as being directed against God? It is true that we commit sins that affects everyone. But have you ever seen them in that light? Because David did. David did. And we see in his response that he was willing to come clean and he was willing to repent of everything that was in him. Remember, telling God you're sorry is never enough. It's, it's, it's not what he's looking for. 
What he's looking for is repentance. And now let's wrap this up. You know, at the heart, at the heart of the gospel, we see God's love when he sent Jesus, don't we? We know that. We know that. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Our response to what he did is to follow him, not just with our lips, but with our actions. That's repentance. This is made clear throughout the scriptures. But it has never been made more clear than when we heard Jesus say, when he did in Luke 6.46, when he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I ask? That was Jesus. Have you ever been there? If you're a parent, you've been there. You ask if something can be done, and they say, Well, sure, and it never happens. Or maybe they just don't say anything at all, and nothing ever happens. They're not honoring their parents. They're not listening. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? Lord's the ultimate. Lord is the, you don't get bigger than Lord. It's supreme. It's all out, all out service. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I ask? How about Matthew 15, 8? When Jesus said, these people, he's talking about the Jews here. These people, they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. He's talking to the Jews. The Jews were the people that he went to and his own received him not. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. Merely paying lip service to God never worked out for the Pharisees and it's never going to work out for us either. Ever. It'll never happen. God's desire is for everyone to reflect the image of Jesus when we accept him as Lord. You know, back in the 80s, I'm not expecting anyone to know this, there was a Christian singer, her name, uh, her name was Leslie Phillips. She was saved out of a real radical, uh, rebellious time in her life, and it was a real massive change. And she sang a song um, that was on her album, Black and white in a gray world. And she, she used these words in one of her songs called Your Kindness. And it used to be one of my favorite songs. When I first got saved, two years after I got saved, I heard this song. And I thought, this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my whole life. Because I didn't know there was anything out there that sounded kind of like rock, but it was all Christian. I didn't know that. And when I heard her, I'm like, oh, she was incredible. And in this song, Your Kindness, are these words. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord, knowing that you loved us no matter what we do, and that makes us want to be like you. Oh, that's a good song. I'm, I'm singing it in my head. You don't want me singing it outwardly right now, I can tell you. But it's a good song. It's really good. You know, it's God's Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance. We know that. We know that. You didn't wake up one Sunday morning and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I guess I'll go out and get saved. Didn't work like that. It's God's Spirit that works within us that leads us to repentance. Never confuse repentance with good works. 
Remember, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of good works, lest anyone should boast. We do good works because of what He did for us. We do good works because of our love for Him and what He did. All we have to offer God in return for us and what He did for us, I mean, is a repentant heart. The good news is that is what Jesus wants. This sounds weird. If Jesus had a Christmas list, the number one thing on that list that he would want from you and from me, just one thing. He just wants one thing. Just one. He wants a repentant heart. That's all he wants. Nothing else is needed. Just a repentant heart. It's our repentant heart working alongside our faith that grabs God's attention. I said it last week, and I'll say it again today. Just as there can be no faith in Christ without repentance, neither can there be repentance without faith. They are the two sides of the same coin. Faith and repentance. And repentance. Repentance is to change our mind, which changes our behavior, thereby causing a change in our life. Repentance is not a list of wrongdoings, but rather it is an undoing of a life lived for self and a new life living for Christ. And this process is a lifetime event. And that's the thing you need to keep in mind. The only time you, re- you repented is not when you first went to Jesus. You're just getting warmed up. Repenting is a complete lifetime experience. You're going to repent over and over and over again. You know, at salvation, your standing with God is fixed forever. Your sins are forgiven, and now uh, He is in you and now you are living for Him. You're standing with God. It's fixed. It cannot change. But your state will change day to day. You can be in the best mood and go to bed. Nothing happens but just going to sleep. And you wake up that next morning and you are just a grouch. You are not a happy person. You're not a loving person. You're not even a person. It's just miserable. What happened? All you did was go to bed. Your state will change, but your standing is fixed. You will live your life in an attitude of repenting because salvation is a process of becoming like Jesus. That's the reason. And the good news is in knowing that the Christian life is never, it is never about perfection. But boy, we sure act like it's supposed to be. We should strive for it. But we should never hold the bar over anyone that they are supposed to be perfect. Because guess what? You're not perfect either. It's an attitude of obedience. That's what the Christian life should be about. That should be our goal. Not about perfection, 
but about obedience. What is obedience? Just doing what I'm supposed to do. Just doing what I'm supposed to do. When we get away from God, guess what? We need to confess where we are to Him, and we just come running right back. We just get right back. The only one who ever lived the perfect life was Jesus. So don't concern yourself with being the biggest failure in the room because you're not. You are surrounded by failures. And you, you're in good company. Why? Because that cup of grace that God gives us in dealing with our sin problem is available to anyone who will ask for it and follow Him and repent. Our faith in Jesus and our desire to be like Him will motivate change in our lives. And that change is called repentance. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before You this morning. And God, we just want to say, just like David, Lord, the only one that we've really ultimately sinned against, God, it's just You. I pray, God, that Our biggest drive for us today and this week is that we would look at our sins as being against you. And I think, God, that if we could do that, God, if I could do that, God, I really think that that could really change a lot about our behavior, especially in how we act and things that we say. Maybe just the things that we think inside our minds. God, against you and you only have I sinned, as David said. Father, I pray and ask that there, if there are those here today, and God, maybe they've just been holding on to some things in their life that they just need to let go, that God, you would help them to do that today. Help them to recognize what the power and the meaning of the cross how it changes things. If only we will, if only we will uh, uh, just, just think on that and apply that and, and to believe it and then to repent. God, that we would just change. Lord, for those in this room today and they know they're, they're at a place where they should not be, I pray, God, that you would really break their hearts. God, that you would really speak to them and let them know you have their future in mind. And the most important thing is to do things right so that the things we all want will happen. Why? Because we'll be living in obedience. Lord, today we just want to give you a repentant heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would help everyone in this room to recognize that because, Lord, it not only puts us where we want to be and need to be in front of you, but, Lord, it sets before us the right course of where we need to be as we live our lives to see the things and be a, a, a achieve the things that we want to see happen. So, God, today we give this to you. And we ask, God, that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen.